Net-A-Porter presents the Incredible Women podcast, Series 6, Champions of Change. Welcome to the Incredible Women podcast. In this series, we're sitting down with champions of change, women who are leading the charge, really pushing for progress through their work and driving for change for themselves and others. Some of these incredible women you'll already be familiar with and others we're excited to introduce you to. I'm Alice Casely-Hayford, Content Director at Net-A-Porter, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined for this episode by Esty Heim, singer, songwriter, composer, and one-third of the award-winning, record-breaking band, Heim. It just has taught me that it's so important to surround yourself with women that empower other women and that support women and only want women to do well. And I think it's a feather in our cap whenever there's a win. Right? It's a feather in everyone's cap. Esty's work to diversify the music industry and her constant support of other women in music is why we see her as a champion of change. Esty founded Heim with her sisters, Alana and Danielle, in 2007. Their first album, Days Are Gone, was released in 2013 and debuted at number one in the UK charts, with critics praising their anthemic melodies and powerful soul-bearing lyrics. Their most recent LP, Women in Music Part 3, was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards, making them the first all-female rock group to gain this recognition. The multi-talented Esty has added another string to her bow too, working on the score for hit TV show Made, and most recently, White Lotus. Let's meet her. Champions of Change, that is our theme for this season of our podcast. And we are so excited to have you, someone who is revolutionising the music industry. And I guess I wanted to ask you, first and foremost, do you see yourself as a champion of change? And how, if at all, do you think you and your sisters have forged change in music in the past 15 years? Thank you for having me on this podcast. It's, I mean, do I, do I look at myself as a champion of change? I think it's, it's a little more nuanced than that. I think I, I, I'd like to think that I, I look at myself, I guess, just as, you know, I, when I go on tour and I see, you know, this audience of, you know, mostly women, you know, a lot of times my sisters and I will like go to the local, you know, watering hole after the show and I meet people that have come to see me play. What I love to hear is other women that have seen us play and then are like, okay, I'm picking up a guitar. Okay. I'm picking up a bass. I'm, I'm going to start taking drum lessons. And to me, I think that to me resonates the most with me because I think growing up, there were definitely women that were in rock bands, hundred percent. But even as a, a kid, I never felt like they got the attention that they deserved. And and that was just as like an eight or nine year old kid. You know, when I saw Tina Weymouth play for the first time, when I saw Stop Making Sense, I remember really zeroing in on her. Mostly because I was like, oh, my God, like I'd never seen a girl play bass before. All the bands that I was obsessed with before, you know, I saw Stop Making Sense were you know, the Led Zeppelins of the world, the Beatles of the world, the Rolling Stones of the world, you know, and I wasn't necessarily really exposed to women that were playing rock music until I saw the Talking Heads. And that was life-changing for me. So if I can do that 
for other women. That to me, that's the overarching, that's my goal. Because I really think that if you don't see it, it's almost like you don't feel like you can be it, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, you are, you are such an inspiration for so many young women. And I think, you know, it was your most recent album, Women in Music Part 3, which is obviously so aptly named, um, nominated the <laughs> album of the year at the 63rd Grammy Awards, which is insane. Yes. But also kind of crazy that you were the first kind of all-female rock band to to get that recognition. Um, it's taken 63 Great. Grammy Awards. So I think regardless of whether you see yourself as a champion of change, you're changing shit, thankfully. And it's urgent. I agree. I mean, I was... I was just as surprised as everyone to to learn that statistic that there had been no other female rock bands that were nominated for album of the year. Um and it was truly surreal getting like seeing that on the screen. I mean, I but yeah, it was it was um yeah, a long time coming, yeah. just like you said. <laughs> exactly. But you guys, especially in your lyrics and some of your certain songs and certainly in interviews, you have spoken about some of the challenges you've faced in the music industry, which has historically been a very male-led, pretty misogynistic space. Um, you guys have been around for 15 years now, um, officially as high. Do you think you've seen a lot of meaningful kind of positive change or is there still such a long way to go? I mean, I think that, it's definitely, you know, we've we've taken steps to to make things better. I don't I think that there's definitely moments where I'm like, oh man, great, we're doing we're doing better. And then something will happen and I'll be like, okay, well now we're we've been set back, you know, two steps forward, three yeah, steps back. Yeah. I, the good news is, and I feel lucky just as SD Haim, that I have you know, two really strong, <laughs> amazing, talented sisters that, you know, are so protective of me and we're protective of each other. And I think that if anything, it's just, it just has taught me that it's so important to surround yourself with women that empower other women and that support women and only want women to do well. And I think it's a feather in our cap whenever there's a win, right? It's a feather in everyone's cap. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I wanted to dig a bit deeper into what it's like working with your sisters who must be your best friends. But at times, like, I know I want to kill my brother. So surely you must have those days. Oh, of course. I mean, listen, we're human. But they also teach me so much also. I mean, it's... It's weird as the older sister when like Alana will say something and I'll be like, you're Yoda. What? <laughs> like, where did you pull? Like, where did you pull that out of? Do you know what I mean? Um, no, I. Yeah, of course. I mean, we 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 fight mostly about clothes because we steal each other's clothes. We have like one collective closet because we're basically all like the same size. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like I know that all they want is what's best for me. So if we get in a fight about something, you know, personal, I know that they they only want what's best for me and vice versa. But it's the most fun traveling with your sisters. 
I bet. I have the, we have the best time. <laughs> it looks like you do. And I think that's what we all love about your music. It's so um, passionate and soul bearing, but also so fun and uplifting. And we can just see the fun that you're having. And we all kind of want to be your sisters too. So it's it's amazing to be a part of that oh, journey. Thank you. But um, how have your roles kind of as sisters and colleagues, I guess, have they changed over the past 15 years that you guys have been together? Or do you kind of draw on each other for different things? I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think as we get older, you know, Alana, I mean, and Danielle, I, when we were younger, I definitely, you know, you know, <laughs> solidified my role as like the older sister, yes. the mama yeah. bear, yeah. like protective. But now as we get older, I find that they, the, the roles have kind of reversed. Mm-hmm. They, again, I'm a type one diabetic and, mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely times when, you know. I, I won't be feeling well or I'll have a, a, a high blood sugar or a low blood sugar even. And they kind of become like my parents. Amazing. You know, they're yeah. very, very, you know, they're, Alana's getting the OJ, Danielle's getting my blood sugar monitor. Like they, they really do take care of me. And again, it's something that I wasn't used to when it, you know, when we were kids, it was the complete opposite. I was always the one that was like, you know, if someone was giving Danielle or Alana trouble, I was the first one. <laughs> on the scene like but yeah you know I think as we get older I mean we talk we've been talking about it a lot I think mostly because you know we're all in our 30s now and we started the band I mean we started a band with our parents I was 11 Alana was six Danielle was eight so like we've been playing music together longer than 15 years we've been playing music together pretty much our whole lives so, yeah, I think, of of course, things, you know, over time, I think things, you know, change, but not in the way where that, you know, we I think we're still the same weird kids. But what's been amazing to see is that you guys kind of obviously working collectively as this amazing trinity, but then also developing or really pursuing your kind of own separate avenues at times as well, like Alana with some of her acting, and of course you doing some acting too, but then White Lotus, which obviously we have to touch on, and Made and all of these amazing TV projects that you've um, worked on. Can you tell us a bit about how um, doing the score and consulting for some of those shows came about? Well, the consulting stuff came after the composing stuff. And that really happened by accident. I I had a friend who was producing a TV show um, during the pandemic, like the very tippy top of the pandemic. And I'd put on a record. I was at home. I wasn't touring. I, I, I was like twiddling my thumbs. I wasn't really feeling um, that creative either. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of artists were kind of, I know it, it feels like it, it was literally only two years ago, but it yeah. feels like it was a lifetime ago. Truly, yeah. But I, I really wasn't feeling creative and I was, I felt kind of stagnant. And my friend called me one day and was like, hey, you know, you do music. You make, you do music stuff. Would you, can would you consider just like watching this pilot and telling me, because the music isn't right. Could you maybe just like give me some pointers? Like, or things you would change or whatever. And I was like, of course. I mean, twist my arm. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch anything at this point. <laughs> and I watched it and I loved it. And I just kind of gave him a couple suggestions of things that I would I would do musically. 
And he was like, well, okay, funny story. Would you ever consider just being the composer on, on the project? And I was like, well, I mean, I've never done that before, but I do music stuff. Like yeah. you said, like I do music <laughs> stuff. I really went into it like super naively and, and almost, you know, I jumped in head first. I accepted and I, I'd always been a fan of score and, and, and composers. And, you know, that was always, I was always listening to, I mean, especially like the Ludwig Gorensons of the world. I would all, I loved listening to movie scores. So I accepted and I loved it so much that I, you know, started telling people like, yeah, I'm a composer. I like, I, I, if there's anyone that needs music for their TV or films, like I, it's super fun for me. Like just a total, like, again, like really going into it blindly, but at the same time, like, I feel like that's kind of been the way that I've operated my whole life. I, you know, I had blind faith when it came to us being a band and mm-hmm. being able to make this a career. And so I kind of did the same thing with scoring and I loved it so much. Like I said, that I just kept doing it and I've been doing it and it's been super duper fun, especially to have, be able to have both, to be able to go back and, and write music with Haim. And I think, I don't think one informs the other, but I think it's nice to always have kind of a creative outlet because I think, you know, it kind of, it just helps. One project kind of helps the other in a sense. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That totally makes sense. Can you Keep tell that us- energy going. Exactly. Can you tell us a bit about working on White Lotus? Because that looked oh, yeah. like so much fun. Oh, it was a blast. Well, that was also by accident. I'd had a really, really terrible breakup. And, um, and one of my really, really close friends is Dave Bernad, who is the producer on White Lotus. And um, he called me like a couple weeks after the breakup just to kind of check up on me and, you know, make, as a good friend does. And of course, I picked up the phone and I was crying. Because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> We've been there. Um, We've all been there. I, when my friends call and I'm crying, I pick up the phone. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he you know, immediately it was just kind of like, we need to get you out of LA. Like you're in a funk. I was like, what do you suggest, Dave? And he was like, well, why don't you just come to Sicily for a week? You know, I'll, why I'll, not? you know, just come visit set, come visit set. <laughs> Again, twist my arm, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> if sure. I must. I'd never been to Sicily before. I'd been to Italy, but not Sicily. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's do it. Exactly. Let's do it. And so I got there and, you know, I met, I met all the actors on the show and, you know, I met Bea and Federico, who is the, the other piano player on the show. And we were just kind of like, and there was the piano in that bar. And I also, I should mention, I got there before they started filming I think that's also the reason why Dave was like, it's okay for you because yes. <laughs> we're in pre-production. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I was just kind of sitting with Bea and singing with her and playing piano with her. And I think, I just, I think that she just felt like, oh, there's another musician on set, you know, that I can kind of bounce ideas off of because there was no one else 
on set that was kind of music focused. And so much of her part, obviously, was her singing and her performance. And, you know, she started telling me about what production wanted to do with the songs. And I just gave her suggestions on song choice and um, arrangement. And, you know, she was telling me how she had she had to sing and play piano live and they weren't doing anything in the studio. And I was like, oh, oh babe. yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> and, you know, I think that we just we became really close friends really fast. I love her. And so we just started working together. And I think Dave came came in at some point when we were singing together and he was like. Yeah, like you don't have anything to do for the next couple like weeks, months or whatever. Like, why don't you just stay and and work with the musicians? Oh, my on the gosh. Show? And again, I was like, twist my arm. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I mean, the truth was I didn't have anything to do until Alana's movie, mm-hmm. well, Licorice Pizza, yeah, was nominated for an Oscar. And I knew that I had to be home for that. But my unofficial job title as the cast basically aptly named me. I was the vibe conductor. Oh, that's a good job title if ever I heard one. Mostly on the weekends or the nights that we didn't weren't shooting the next day, I would throw these parties in that bar. Oh my God, to be a fly on the wall. It was so much fun. <laughs> it, it was, you know, I would throw dance parties. We would do karaoke parties. Yeah. But it was so much fun. And I think it was also just a nice way for the cast to kind of unwind mm-hmm. and to have a release mm-hmm. after a long day of shooting. Um, and yeah, I was, of course, I was up for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was just so jazzed to, you know, to be in Sicily hanging with, and, you know, and I knew Megan from, from before I even yeah. got Daphne. Yeah. I knew Megan before I ever got on set. So she was kind of like my confidant. And I invited Kesha to come with me. So Kesha showed up. Oh, my God. Well, that sounds like so much fun and the perfect distraction from getting over an ex, hopefully. Yes. And it truly did the trick. Good. Very, (laughs) very glad to hear it. Obviously, sisters aside, you've worked with some phenomenal women in the music industry. Have any of them imparted any particular words of wisdom that have really stayed with you? I think Taylor is super inspiring just being around her. I think it's hard not to be so taken and inspired just by her and also like her work ethic and, you know, her out, like she's just so prolific. And I think that's just seeing her, you know, write and record and produce and direct. And like, it's like, she just does everything. And I think that's also maybe where, you know, where my, my mind, you know, goes, I'm like, okay, like, come on, SD, you got to keep going. Like, you, like, if like, I, I feel like, again, being around women that are expiring like that, I think is so important because I think it just, it pushes you to be the best that you can be too. And Taylor makes me feel that way. Um, Florence from Florence Florence Welch makes me feel that way. It's important, I think, to be around women or at least to look look to people like Taylor and Beyonce and Shakira, like Madonna, like these these amazing women and look to them as like almost like I look to them as like a north star to just be like 
You just want to push yourself to put out the best shit you possibly can. And I think what's amazing about those women that you've just listed is that they somehow are able to capture the zeitgeist and be like in ter- terribly modern, um, but then also be so timeless at the same time. And like, it's just amazing that it can speak to every different woman around the world. And I love that. Oh, yeah. Timeless, like truly timeless, just like really amazing songwriting. Oh, like I I, I was listening to Tracy Chapman this morning. An absolute like Tracy icon. Chapman and Sade. Like, it's hard not to be inspired by, especially as songwriters, you know, I think that's, that's the thing that I, I, I hold near and dear to my heart is songwriting. As an amazing performer, songwriter, what would your advice be to a young woman starting out in the industry today? And with all of your wealth of experience and wisdom, what would you say to someone at the beginning of their career? Don't throw anything out. You can always piece together, unless you really think something is like a truly bad idea. Like a song that you're like, this is really just, I'm never going to use this. This is the pits, yeah. Always save everything. And like, again, and I know it's like, I feel like every everyone says this, but like truly stick to your to your guns. Don't settle. Don't, you know, if something doesn't feel right also, and it feels like, and this is speaking from experience, if something doesn't feel right, but it's an opportunity and you're like, oh, fuck, you know, I mean, I'm giving up a lot here, but it's a great opportunity. I mean, to me, I think it's more important, especially in the music industry, to really be able to have as much creative control as you possibly can. Creative control and and control within your career. So if someone wants to take a little bit of that away... Don't let them stick to your guns. Yeah, I think that's really, really um, amazing advice and so important. But I think as well, you spoke earlier about your self-belief and you knew just that you believed in the band so much. Where yes. did that gut feeling and that self-belief come from? Is that from your parents or just completely no innate? Idea. No idea. <laughs> no, no idea. Just, I mean, probably probably my parents and and, you know, seeing how hard my parents worked. I mean, both of my parents worked so hard. My mom, my mom was a teacher. My dad, I mean, when my dad came to the, to America, my dad was a plumber, you know, like they really just worked their way up. And I think they also were just like running on blind faith. Like we're going to make this work, you know? And I think seeing them, and also seeing how much they believed in us too was probably helpful. <laughs> but, you know, I think we just always, I think I just always had this feeling like, also like, I can't do anything else. So like, if this doesn't work, you know, I, again, blind faith. And and true, again, it was like, I mean, Danielle and Alana and I talk about this all the time, but like those early shows that we played I don't even think we were thinking about like, you know, the guy in the audience that has the cigar and the record contract, you know, we weren't thinking like, you know, someone's going to see, you know, even though that it would be amazing if that happened, I think it was more just about like, we were just having such a good time and to be able to play shows in LA. I mean, you hear all these stories about like how you have to like, you pay to play and like, and at the beginning, like we did that, we had to, I was like selling tickets to my friends, you know? If I had a nickel for every time, I'd be like, I'll put you on the list. Like, you just wanted people to show up to our show, you know? Yeah. 
But that, it felt like every little, every little win, every little victory didn't feel like a little victory. Now in hindsight, you know, I remember when like we had played South by Southwest and we had 10,000 fans on Facebook. And I remember like, and I think it was like on my birthday when that happened. I just remember being like, oh, now we've made it. It's done. <laughs> like we can like. We can retire. Put a fork in me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Done. But like it's it when when you're starting out. I mean, it's it's true. It's like every little little piece, every little step that you take just feels so good because it's new. And so I. I, I was just kind of, that was kind of my fuel and, and running on that and being like, well, now that this happened, like, let's like, now we're going to make the, you know? And I think that we were just, again, running on blind faith, no rubric, <laughs> like no guide, no blueprint. Like it was just very much fly by the seat of our, of our pants. You well, know? well, you guys have come a little way from 10,000 Facebook fans. Um, so what what does 2023 have in store? What's next for you? The Taylor dates in August. And then we're playing um, Governor's Ball. Amazing. In New York. Fantastic. Very excited about that. If you want to come, yeah. <laughs> shimmy on down to New York. <laughs> I'm like your early, Hop across your the early friends putting them on the list. You can do the same for me and I'll get on a plane. <laughs> I got you. I got you. You've got carte blanche. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You've very got carte much. blanche. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm very excited about that. that so you got amazing. some more touring and and um some more composing and you know, just Keep on keeping on. But before we finish, I just need to ask you, of course, you are our champion of change, but who are you looking at? Who's inspiring you? Who are your champions of change for 2023? I really, really love this artist named Remy Wolf. Um, I think she's incredible and she's an amazing voice. And and I think that the music that she's making is, you know, super future and really well-made and the songwriting is incredible. I think she's really talented. Um, I also, I'm super inspired by Arca. I think um, as, as a, from a producerial standpoint, especially, I think Arca is so future and super duper inspiring. And I think pushes me to want to make better music and be my best and truly live up to my potential. Well, thank you, Esty, so much for your time today. It has been such a delight chatting with you. Um, you are a champion of change and we are so grateful for all that you do in terms of your amazing output of music and how much you're moving the industry forward. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> Champions of Change was brought to you by Netta Porte and Chalk and Blade. Hosted by Net-A-Porter's content director, Alice Casely-Hayford, and fashion director, Kay Barron. The team at Net-A-Porter was Katie Barrington as the senior editor, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The producer at Chalk and Blade was Laura Hyde. Original music by Alexis Adamora, and the series was mixed by Nasson De Silva. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review and tell us who your champions of change are.